0: On happy Saturday, and welcome to Chatterbox Reds. My name is Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds is your daily home for live post-game shows after every Reds game on YouTube and podcasts like you're listening to right now. Always available bright and early the morning after every Reds game. We are presented as always by Betfred Sportsbook. Well, the Reds had arguably their most painful loss of the season on Friday night. Myself and Shay Neal had instant reaction to the game. And some of the mind-boggling decisions from Reds manager David Bell. We'll break all that down in a moment. A little later on the show, we'll also recap all the Reds minor league action on Friday night and a preview of Saturday's Reds game against the Nationals. But first, here's what went down on Friday night. The Reds returned home after a 10-game road trip and it honestly could not have started better for the good guys. In the bottom of the first, Nick Sinzel hit a solo home run to right field that quickly put the Reds up 1-0, home run number nine on the season for Sinzel. On the very next pitch, Matt McClain hit his 12th home run of the season, and it was a bomb to straightaway center field at 422 feet. It was 2-0 Reds. Then in the bottom of the third, Ellie De La Cruz hit his first career home run hitting from the right side, Reds against, of course, Nationals left-handed pitcher Patrick Corbin. Ball hit 113 off the bat. Home run number nine for Ellie De La Cruz. And the Reds were rolling up 3-0. Graham Ashcraft, he was absolutely brilliant through the first seven innings. He allowed just one solo home run. Stuart Fairchild also helped out Ashcraft's cause. He made two incredible plays. One catch up against the wall. Another uh, diving catch playing center field on Friday night. But at the top of the 8th, Ashcraft came back out. Ashcraft was just one out away from getting through 8 innings with a 3-1 lead. But then a weak single by Lane Thomas was followed by a 2-run home run to Joey Meneses, And that tied the game up at 3. In the bottom of the 8th, David Bell let both Nick Senzel and Kevin Newman bat against a right-handed Nats reliever and the Reds stranded Matt McClain representing the go-ahead run. Alexis Diaz came in in the top of the ninth, and he retired the Nats in order. In the bottom of the ninth, the Reds had the winning run at third base with one out, and that was TJ Friedel. Friedel pinch ran for Votto, who led the inning off of the walk. Friedel stole second and third base, but Stuart Fairchild struck out. Ellie was intentionally walked, and then Nick Senzel had a soft line out to send us into extra innings. Alexis Diaz surprisingly came back out in the top of the tenth. He did throw 17 pitches in the ninth inning. Diaz gave up a leadoff double to the just called up Jake Alou that scored the ghost runner and put the Nats up four to three. After a sacrifice bunt moving Alou to third base, Diaz did get a big strikeout of C.J. Abrams. The Reds then elected to pitch to the Nationals' best hitter by far. Lane Thomas with two bases open, and Thomas hit a 389-foot home run. That put the Nats up 6-3. Reds went 1-2-3, and the Reds lose 6-3. Reds fall to 59-53 and on the season. Here's what David Bell had to say about the game and some of his puzzling decisions.
1: safe to assume that this one... <clears throat> stings more than others, just the way it unfolded and six unanswered?
0: Uh,
1: yeah, I don't know how to measure it, you know, or put a number on it or anything like that. They're, I mean, we go out every day to, to win a game, and um, that's the goal. That'll be the goal tomorrow. And, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things happened today. Graham obviously put us into a, a really good position to, to win the ball game, and um, that's a, a positive. There's no question the way he's been pitching is really important to our team, so... Um, you know, that's a uh, very much a positive uh, to focus on from tonight. Was Jake fairly mm-hmm. unavailable tonight? There were a few situations that he would have probably hit, I'm assuming, if all things are right. Yeah, um, Jake was unavailable uh, tonight, so we will have more information on Jake tomorrow. Um, yeah. For Alexis, um, obviously, he's been so good, um, th- those are tough to handle. Um, did you see anything in that second inning when he went out there? I mean, he hadn't pitched in five days right. that you notice that they got to him? I mean, it's what we asked him to do. Um, very, very difficult. Um, you know, pitch the ninth inning, go back out for a tenth with, with a runner on, and then top of their order comes around. Guys are swinging the bat really well. So, I mean, it's a yeah, you know, we felt good about that. Obviously, with Alexis going back, but uh, it's a, a lot to ask, and um, you know, he, it could have gone different. But uh, like I said, those guys are really swinging the bat well. And at that point, you know, Alexis is up near 30 pitches and um, territory he hasn't really needed to get to very often, just because he's he's been so good. When you came out in the eighth inning, were you kind of questioning the, the the direction he took to first base? Yeah, and I can't I can't see it, you know, from where I am. It's a, a really tough angle from our dugout. But I just wanted to ask the question. I still haven't seen it, or that's um, too late now anyway. But I, on that call, I have to trust that, that they had a good view of it, uh, the first base umpire and the home plate umpire. Is that reviewable? <clears throat> no, it's not. It's not reviewable.
0: And here's what Graham Ashcraft had to say about his overall good outing that unfortunately left a bad taste in his mouth. I imagine
2: one pitch continues to go through your mind. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that last homer that, uh, was it McNeeson? Is that how you say his last name, I think? Meneses? Okay. Meneses, yeah. Stevo called fastball, I shook slider, and, I mean, not necessarily executed, but was in a pretty good spot, but, I mean... Dude just got extended and just put it out. I mean, can't really do anything about it. When
1: something like that happens, is that the the things that can drive you crazy in baseball that you pitch so well, yet
2: you're leaving with that one thought? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things you have to kind of keep it in the back. You know, you can't really hit the harp on it and think about it. I mean, I, I told DJ when I came out, I was like, that's one of those outings that... You're happy that I'm, I'm really happy about, but I'm also really pissed at myself because there was two mistakes on two pitches that put runs up on the board for them. And, I mean, that's that's where I'm at with it. I mean, I, I felt like I threw really good. I made two mistakes. They capitalized on it, and that's about it. What allowed you to be so efficient tonight? To get just, you to do right? just first pitch strike. I mean, I was pounding the zone, getting just getting after guys, and getting weak contact. I mean, had three hard-hit balls, and two two of the three were home runs, you know. You've been through, as a team, have been through stretches where you've had down stretches and
1: you guys have rebounded every time. Was tonight, though, one of the ones that stings
2: more, just the way it unfolded? I mean, yes and no. I mean, they... Those guys capitalized on our mistakes tonight. I mean, that's what it came down to. And I mean, there was just times, I mean, it's baseball. I mean, we jumped on them early and we just weren't able to bring it together later in the game, but I mean, you can't score every inning if we could. I mean, every game would be twenty to twenty. so I, I mean, this is well, what was what was the pitch to? Manessis. Both of the home runs were sliders. Yeah, the one to Thomas was a, it was a spinner. It didn't move, and then the one to Manessus was it was I mean it was a decent pitch. It was down and away. He just got extended on it and
0: got to it. Well, there was some good news. The Reds got a lot of help on Friday. The Brewers lost eight four to the Pirates. The Cubs got smacked eight nothing at home to the Braves. And the Phillies, the Marlins, and the Diamondbacks all lost in the wild card race. Reds remain a half game back of the Brewers and the NL Central. Reds still two games ahead of the Cubs. The Reds also still somehow actually hold a playoff spot. The Reds have the third NL Wild Card spot, just a half game ahead of the Marlins, game and a half ahead of the Diamondbacks. All right, here is myself and Shay Neal discussing the game. Instant reaction to a brutal loss on Chatterbox Reds Live on YouTube. All right, Nick Kirby. Shay Neal here. This is a tough one. This is, uh, I think, no question, the the roughest loss of the year for the Reds. Uh, no two ways around it. We'll do our best to break it down, try to make some sense of it. Jay, I, I don't know what else to say, man. This was a, a bad, bad, bad loss.
3: Yeah, I can promise half of the statement you just said, we'll break it down. I'm not sure even after talking for a half hour, Nick, we're going to be able to make any sense of it.
0: Uh, let's just jump right into David Bell because that's where hmm. I'm sure everyone's uh, head is at right now. Let's try to break down the, the moves. Again, it, it's a little difficult to do in real time when you're you know trying to be here produce a show, um, do everything that, that that goes with it. Uh, so apologize if I, I miss anything that happened. Um, but we start off David Bell had Will Benson pinch run for Christian and Strand in the uh bottom of the eighth inning is that correct here? Because I want to I want to make sure we get everything right here. Bottom of the 7th. Bottom of the 7th inning. Okay. Yes. So bottom of the 7th inning, Reds at this point were leading 3 to 1. Um obviously that that's a move that that comes back to play because it it sounds and chat if, if there's anything on on the post game show, please let us know. We can't obviously be watching that and talking at the same time so if there is an official update on jake frilly let us know but by all intents and purposes it sounds like jake Fraley was unavailable today let's start with the will benson move let's try to go through these one at a time i don't have an issue with pinch running for will be- using will benson as a pinch runner even with jake Fraley unavailable you're leading three to one you're trying to steal an extra run. The difference between being ahead three to one and being ahead four to one is huge in terms of any sort of win probability. So I'm not going to crush him on that individual move. Shay, what, what's your thoughts and on that that particular move?
3: Um, I mean, I see where his head was at. I do. Um, I just it was the the part that I don't love is that, you know, I mean, they moved steer over to first base, but obviously hindsight's 2020, 20, but if you take out a bat like CES, it's obviously going to hurt the productivity of the offense. But I, I wish they would have, if they were going to make a move to take out a guy, it would have been a guy that could have been more of a straight swap um, and could have just kind of filled in at that position. I think bringing in Benson kind of you know shifted everything around and we kind of talked about it a little bit in that uh, 10th inning, Nick. I mean, it almost feels like that when he brought in Benson and then they didn't score and then the nationals tied it up, it almost felt like he got like, you know, like tongue tied a little bit and he was hesitant to make another yeah. move the rest of the night. And that's kind of where my mindset's at. I don't mind bringing in Benson to pinch run. I see where his head was at, but I wish it would have been done without kind of shifting everyone around. Cause I think that's what really kind of, you know, started the snowball kind of.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I would disagree. I would say that, Pitch running is fine, but you got to be prepared for the next step, what happens. And I felt like they weren't prepared for that that aspect because again, you're up three to one, you're pinch running Will Benson. You're also going to have a much better defensive lineup because you're getting steer out of left field. You're playing him at first base. I think steer and CES probably comparable first baseman. I don't think you're really gaining an advantage there, but you're clearly gaining some advantage with Will Benson in the outfield with the lead. But that was the first move in this domino. So then, um, unfortunately, Graham Ashcraft gives up uh, uh the lead. We'll talk about Graham Ashcraft's start here in a minute. So in the uh in the eighth, this was the eighth inning. Okay. So Nixon Zell leads off, he strikes out. So at that point, you have TJ Friedel on your bench. Yes. And is in Luke Maley, assuming Jake is unavailable, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So I guess having Zell bats fine. Um, I, I don't really have an issue with that because if you only have one left, you gotta, you know, that that's fine to save it. And Sinzel had homer early in the game, so Sinzel strikes out. McLean singles, so you have the winning run, the go ahead run on first base. Steer strikes out, and then Newman comes up the bat. That's where I just don't understand why would you not use TJ Friedel there? That yeah. that that's what I don't understand. Well, and it's at- like he brought in Friedel as the pinch
3: runner for Votto after Vado drew the walk. And that would make sense, Nick, if you had Fraley available because Friedel stole second base. Friedel even snuck into third when uh was it when Fairchild was at the plate? And uh so he got to third base with one out. Friedel did his job when he came in as a uh uh pinch runner. But why bring in Friedel as a pinch runner if you know Fraley's not available? If you know Fraley's not available, you've got to save Friedel for that lefty bat when you you know I would have rather had Votto run the bases and have Friedel hit for Newman than Friedel come in to run for
0: Votto and have Newman hit. Yeah. no, I mean, in, look, you have Matt McClain is the go ahead run on base. Matt McClain's got great speed. I mean, you literally just need TJ Friedel to, you know, put one barely in the gap and you you take the lead there. So that's mm-hmm. the biggest, that's the, 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 I guess that's one. A of the biggest blunder for me is, is Newman batting. Um, um, in that spot there. And you could have, you could have had, because you had Sinzel bat, which we already said if Freely's unavailable. I'm okay with that. I don't have an issue with that. But Sinzel was in right field. Sinzel could come in, play third base for Newman, and then um Friedel could go out to right. center field. Fairchild moves over to right. No problem about it. All right. So he doesn't do that. Okay. So then we get into the ninth inning. And it's like David Bell gets a second chance, but, but he used, he uses TJ Friedel, the pinch run for Joey Votto. Mm -hmm. And then doesn't have him available to bat for Stuart Fairchild. And that's just where that, that, that pinch runner, I really don't understand because you know, you're down to your last you're You're down to your last batter other than Maley. Right. And you know, Stuart Fairchild's, uh, Four batters away at this, three batters away after Votto gets on base. That That's just where I can't understand the logic there. No. Um, you, you had two opportunities to use TJ Friedel with a chance to well, win this game. And it seemed like,
3: well, and that's kind of what we were talking about, Nick, where he brought in Friedel to run for Votto. Friedel stole second with Benson at the plate. And then Benson ends up just missing one. I mean, he hit it to the track. It was just about a two run walk off. But uh after that you'd think he 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 was banking on tyler stevenson winning this game nick because as soon as tyler stevenson got out and Stuart fairchild comes to the plate he was really you know i mean he was out of bullets and at this point of the year tyler stevenson's a great guy and i still think he has a lot of room to improve and be a solid major league player but with what he showed you in 2023 nick how on earth could you be banking on tyler stevenson to win this
0: game I mean, you can even make a case to use Friedel to pitch it for Tyler Stevenson, right? because I could say Stuart Fairchild might be a better hitter right now than Tyler Stevenson. It's just, there's just so many spots that you could use Friedel to win the game and you use him as a pinch runner. I I, I don't get that. Again, the Benson one, it's a totally different situation because the Reds had a lead at that point that they weren't in, in a spot where they, they needed to get a run to get ahead and, 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 putting Benson in does improve your defense with a lead. I can get behind that. I, I understand why other people might not like it, but I think, I think if we're being rational, you can find the, the understanding in that. Oh, yeah. I, I just do not understand how you let Newman hit and then how you let both Stevenson and Fairchild hit. You got to use Friedel in that spot.
3: All right. I agree. I agree. And I think uh, before I forget, I saw uh, ch- somebody in chat, I think it was, it was Allie said, uh, since we're talking about it, you know, uh, the Benson play and the the Friedel play, uh, uh, the the one that I'm okay with, and I know you were uh, with me on this one, Nick. I'm fine that they didn't have Friedel steal um, with Benson at the plate because, yeah. Um, and we kind of touched on that during the game, but I think uh, Benson, it, it felt like a good matchup for Benson. The Nationals lefty Ferrar wasn't finding the strike zone very well. I didn't want, you know, I thought Benson had a good chance of drawing a walk or at least reaching a full count anyway. So that was the one I was okay with. You could argue that for sure. Now, I think where the argument is, is not necessarily having Friedel steal with Benson at the plate, but having Benson bunt. I think Benson's way too good of a hitter to have him lay down the bunt. It felt like you were burning it at bat, again, with Tyler Stevenson and Stuart Fairchild on deck. Just let I mean, he ended up, did he, he did end up swinging away, Nick. But, I mean, if you've got Benson, Stevenson, and Fairchild as your bottom three and Fraley wasn't available... I mean, Benson's your best hitter. I don't care if it's a lefty on your mound. You tell Will Benson he's got to do whatever it takes.
0: Well, I'm not sure if Benson actually was ever going to bunt That's because true. he never actually attempted a bunt. Every single one of them he pulled back. Now they were pitches out of the zone, so it's hard to know was he actually. I mean, is his pay, you know was his just plate? I know he has incredible plate discipline, uh, but was it is it that good that he was pulling back every time, or was it just completely a show? Which I don't have a problem, and you saw their third baseman came in a long way. So it it could have been just completely for show to try to draw him in. You know, Benson's not a, not been a great hitter at this point of his career against left-handed bitches. You trying to draw him in, see if you can sneak a single through. So I don't have an issue. I I don't, I don't like him bunting, especially because I have never seen him bunt. So I doubt that he has, you never want to bunt with a guy. That's not a, almost a sure thing or, or, you know, 70% 70% or something like that. And I definitely don't feel like it was in that spot, but I think he might've just been showing. So I'll, I'll give a pass on that. Let's get to the last decision that was just, um, I don't know, it's as bad as any of them. I don't, I do not understand this one at all. So you get to the 10th, Alexis Diaz comes out for a second inning of work. I'm not going to get too, too critical on that. Um, they know Alexis Diaz, if they thought that that he was fresh they thought that he had two in him tonight I can live with that um I also think there might be some um there might be some hesitation with Lucas Sims because of how he's struggled of late so I don't necessarily hate Alexis Diaz move um but nonetheless Alexis Diaz gives up a leadoff double that is what it is nat's do a sack bunt um and then Alexis Diaz gets CBA, CJ Abrams to strike out the huge out it's a one run game. It's 4-3. You still have a chance. You have the the, the tying run uh, at second base to start the bottom of the inning, and Lane Thomas comes up to the plate. And Lane Thomas, if you know anything about the Washington Nationals, is their best hitter, and it's not even close. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he is by far their best hitter, um, and you have two bases open, and I just have no idea on earth why you would pitch to Lane Thomas. I know um, Joey Manessis hit a home run but you don't even really have to pitch to Joey Meneses. Like you could pitch around him too. I I, I do not understand why you would pitch to Lane Thomas. And of course he blasted the two run home run and pretty much on all intents and purposes, you're going up against another team's closer. Your chances of scoring three runs right. um, are very, very slim. So um, w- any thoughts on the, how the, the top of the 10th played out?
3: Well, first of all, I don't think Diaz should have come back out after throwing 17 pitches in the ninth. And, you know, he could have gone out there and gotten three more outs in the 10th. I still would have not liked him to come out for the 10th because, Nick, now he can't pitch tomorrow. And, I mean, there's a chance he probably won't be able to pitch on Sunday either. And right now, the Reds have shown that they struggle with teams inside their own division. They need to win any game they can that's outside of their division. And I just – I don't like the move of burning 35 pitches out of your all-star closer in game one of a series – So one, I didn't love that. And two, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think that it just didn't make any sense. There was a guy on second, first base was open. Walking Thomas would not have only not allowed their best hitter to swing the bat. It would have also allowed for a force out at three different bases with two outs. Um, It just, with Manessas coming up, I mean, Manessas had a home run on the night, but Manessas is much more of a, a a ground ball hitter than Thomas is too. Uh, so it just I mean there were three or four, three or four different details that went into that moment that just did not make sense to me. And then as soon as that ball went off Thomas's bat, I mean you knew at the very least it was a double off the wall. Um, and it, it just it, it was frustrating because it felt like it was preventable.
0: Yeah, tough one. All right. Um, I guess final thoughts here on David Bell before we move on to the other stuff. We'll try from this point on. We got David Bell out of the way. If you're just joining us, hit rewind, watch that again. I'm not going to rehash it. I don't want to think about it again, to be honest with you. But final thoughts, my final thoughts on this on David Bell. Look, I love David Bell. I've been a David Bell supporter. I know a lot of people aren't, and that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. David Bell had a terrible night. He had an awful night, an almost inexcusable night. And I don't throw around the words inexcusable lightly. Anyone who's watched the show knows I don't do that. I I don't say things like that. I, I try to keep it real um and try not to to um you know be cotton as a prisoner of the moment but this was just inexcusable tonight i don't understand it at all but you know managers umpires guys who do stupid shows like this we all have bad nights yeah i'm just hopefully it was just a god-awful night for david bell flush it down and we can move on but this yeah. this kind of stuff can't happen again this was a atrocious yeah. night
3: yeah and this is first of all this is the kind of night that you know Hundred loss season in 2022 is irritating, but you move on pretty quick. When you're seven games over 500 and a half game out of first place in a division in, in the second week of August, this is just something that a you know a fourth year manager can't do, Nick. And David Bell, I'm with you. I think David Bell's grown so much since the first year or two we saw him. I think he's gotten so much more confident um, in his decision making. I think he's not second guessing himself as much. I, I've seen the progression. I still don't know if I'm 100% sold on him, but I've seen the progression enough to where I'm not you know, all in on letting him go. Um, but tonight was just not. A lot of things that didn't make sense. Um, a lot of things that just, I mean, one, obviously now, and Steve put this in the chat and I wanted to point it out. Uh, apparently David Bell said Fraley was not available tonight and they would have more information tomorrow. Um, so now it sounds like David Bell knew that going in with what he said there. uh, I don't think he got hurt.
0: I don't think he got hurt in between the seventh and eighth inning. Exactly.
3: He knew that going in, uh, interpreting that quote, which means if he knew Fraley wasn't going to be available tonight, Nick, he should have just, there were so many things he should have done differently. If you knew Jake Fraley, wasn't going to be able to come off off the bench, because the way he managed up until the bottom of the ninth, he was managing it. Like the Reds had just gotten a couple base runners against a lefty that was wild. And now he was going to bring in Jake Fraley to win the game. And then we find out Jake Fraley wasn't available. That just can't happen. If you know Jake Fraley is not going to be able to play, you have to do it differently.
0: It's almost like you use Diaz in two innings, like you're going all in to win this game by that type of move. But why would you not go all in with TJ Friedel hitting for Kevin Newman? Like it, th- those two just don't. There's, just, they, there's some of those moves are excusable, but all of them together, that that's just that's far too many to to come up with a good excuse and um, yeah, uh, we'll move on from there. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Let's talk about Graham Ashcraft, man. Gosh, he was so good. Shay, I was really excited, you know, as I was watching this game that you were on tonight, because I think you do such a good job um, understanding and breaking down pitchers. Um, Let's not forget how good of a night Graham Ashcraft got. Mm -hmm. I I guess before we get into Graham Ashcraft, let's talk about the decision to leave him in in the eighth. If this was a do or die game, I'm not going to let him face Lane Thomas and Joey Manessis for a third time. Um, Based on how much you've used your bullpen, how good Ashcraft would look overall. I didn't really have an issue with it. It's one of those like, you're really on the fence of, it, of going one way or the other. Like, I don't have a strong conviction either way on that. Do you, do you have a strong conviction either way on if you should have gone? Cause he had Diaz warming.
3: Yeah, he did. Um, I'm completely fine with them bringing Ashcraft out for the eighth. I actually tweeted, I think after the fifth and I said, uh, cause obviously the bullpen was taxed to Helen back in Chicago. Um, and I said, you know, it's a good night for Graham Ashcraft to throw eight innings and give the bullpen the night off they need. And I mean, Nick, he really just threw two bad pitches tonight. It was just unfortunate that his two bad pitches were to the two guys in the Washington lineup that can beat
0: you. And that's Lane Thomas and Joey Manessis. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about Graham Ashcraft overall, because he has really turned his season around. Um, if the Reds are able to hang in this race, Graham Ashcraft is going to have to be a huge part of it. His last six or seven starts, however many it's been, have been probably the best stretch of his entire career, even maybe better than his first like six starts of the year when he was really, really good. What do you think has been the difference to Graham Ashcraft? Do you have any idea what you think it is?
3: Well, one, I think it's it's two things really. I think one, he's back to having those two different fastballs where I know now he's calling it more of a two-seamer than a sinker. I know he used to call it a sinker. But it was, it's so important for Graham. Graham, he gets strikeouts, but he, I mean, the, the guy that we saw get 10 Ks in six innings back in spring, Nick, that's not Graham Ashcraft. I mean, that, that might happen once every, you know, 10 starts, but Graham Ashcraft's a guy that's going to get four to six strikeouts when he gets the ball. So for a guy that allows contact as much as he does, you need both, you need your primary pitch, uh, your primary fastball to move in two different directions. And that cutter he has. He throws that more than anything else. He loves that pitch. That's his number one, but now he has that two seamer that he can either back door on the outside corner to righties. He can go, uh, he can jam it in on him. He, you know, he's just got that fastball moving in two different directions. That's so important. That's really why he struggled was because all he had was that cutter. And once hitters timed up the cutter, uh, it was trouble for him. And then the other thing that's made him really good is just his slider so much sharper than it was, uh, for a couple months in the middle of the season. Um, He's not only uh, throwing it off the plate down in a way to get swings and misses uh, and get strikeouts, that is his strikeout pitch, but something I've seen him do a lot more, and I'm sure a lot of people in chat have as well, uh, is he lands that slider at the top of the zone to kind of freeze the hitters, uh, and that's really his go-to uh, uh, get a head strike one pitch, and it's worked out very well for him. So I've been very impressed with Graham. His last seven starts, 2.05 earned run average. He's only given up 35 hits in 44 innings. Uh, the whip just over one. I mean, he's like you said, Nick, it, it could be argued that he's been better the last month than he was the first month of the year. And he was one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball the first month of the year.
0: Yeah, he's been great. And um, hopefully he can continue to keep it up. Uh, let's move on to uh, Ellie De La Cruz hit his first home run uh, from the right side off of a lefty. Let's, you know, let, let's take a step back. Let's talk about the Reds offense overall. Um, I know I know probably a lot of people you're you're also looking back at this game and you're going, well, he only scored three runs off Patrick Corbin, one of the worst pitchers. I felt like it it was a it was a tough only scoring three runs. I mean, the Reds had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hard hit balls off Corbin. They had several uh that that almost got out. It felt like it was going to be back to back to back. Um, mm-hmm. on Senzel, McLean, and Steer, um, man, up and down the lineup, they, it, it, it felt like. I, I don't want to really fault them for their performance against Patrick Cormans. I, I think it was just some of it was, you know, some poor luck that they didn't, weren't able to get more than than that. Mm-hmm. Is that is that how you you felt watching this game?
3: Yeah, I think. I mean it's uh, the the start they got off to uh, off to it's it's a little it's easy to be a little frustrated that they only got three runs and what ended up being six and a third for Patrick Corbin tonight but I thought for the most part honestly uh Corbin was doing a good job of keeping that sinker low in the zone getting ground balls I think I mean at the end of the day sometimes and I know chat's not going to be in the mood to hear this but you know sometimes it's just the pitcher pitched a good game and I thought for the most part other than those mistakes he threw to uh McClain and to uh senzel in the first inning and even the senzel one was a fastball in the outer half i mean it was just a pretty good swing uh i thought corbin for the most part was pretty good tonight and uh i thought the reds uh definitely could have taken advantage of some more opportunities that fourth inning stands out to me when they had two on with nobody out uh and weren't able to tack on but i thought for the most part corbin did a pretty nice job limiting their chances uh and other than the home runs they really you could argue only had one or two chances to score off of corbin
0: yeah all right um Ellie did a cruise like like i mentioned a second ago first home run in his uh young big league career against a lefty um i, I feel like ellie i'm starting to get a, a good feeling that that he um is heading in the right direction like he right really be taking off um i know our good friend um, at Reds and four um had had a really good thread today talking about his um uh, i won't get too far into the weeds on the the analytical side of this but basically showing that there's some serious progress in the way that he's hitting the ball and um, his his heart rate and all that, that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like Ellie's about to take off. What, what, what do you think on Ellie?
3: It feels like it's, you know, it's, it's inevitable that he's just going to have one of those scorching hot streaks that, you know, he really kind of takes this team's offense to the next level. And he kind of fully emerges onto the scene as being a future star in major league baseball. I'd say you could argue he already is a star in major league baseball, but uh, and we, it's been touched on a couple of times, Nick, but I mean, you look at it, it's been a roller coaster of the first two months in the big leagues for Ellie De La Cruz. We've had people say he strikes out too much, which is probably true. We've had people say that, you know, uh, he, he needs to adjust. He's too, he, you know, he needs to go back down to A, blah, 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 blah. There's been a lot of people in a lot of different situations that have questioned the readiness of Ellie De La Cruz. And we sit here two months into his big league career, 21 years old, as of January, 268 average OPS of 800. And he has not had that first really hot streak in the major leagues yet. Um That's impressive. He's been a, he's been a slightly above average hitter in the league with an average OPS. Uh, and we're waiting for that explosion, which means, I mean, w- w- it is what we've known it is. I mean, this is a star and the fact that his slow start to the show and his adjustment period is 270 with an 800 OPS. there's, 70 percent of hitters in major league baseball nick would kill for a 270 with an 800 ops
0: yeah i mean to have a seven eight 98 ops and and to have i don't want to say lost but i don't know what the step below lost. at times he's felt almost that at, at times the right. He's still producing at this mm-hmm. level um i i think he's he's really on the cusp of hopefully um taking off nixon zell hit also hit a home run tonight um i I think Nixon Zell has done a really, really good job in the role that he's been given. Um, he's absolutely crushed left-handed pitching. That was a huge home run, uh, putting the Reds up one nothing. Uh, what's your thoughts on Nixon Zell?
3: I thought it was a good swing. Like I said, it was a fastball in the outer half. It was a good swing. And to go, go kind of off of your point, I think Nixon Zell has done a good job in you know what his role on this team should be: hitting left-handed pitching, providing some positional versatility. The problem is when he struggles, Nick, and when, you know, people bash him for not being that good of a player, it's because he's kind of put in situations where he really shouldn't be put into. And I think that at this point of Nick Senzel's career, I think we know what he is. We know that he's not going to be the future star that we had hoped he would be uh, when he was the second overall pick in 2016. But we know there's some stuff that he's really good at. We know he can play third base, second base. Left field, right field, center field. We know he's got some flexibility there, which is valuable. We know he can hit left-handed pitching, which is valuable. So I just I wish this team sometimes, and I mean tonight's just kind of a boiling point for me. But I wish uh, you can kind of see when we sit here on Chatterbox Reds, and you can see how this this roster is constructed and where guys kind of fit in terms of how they should play, where they should play, when they should play. And I think the Reds know that for the most part. And it's just frustrating that sometimes they don't always follow that plan.
0: Yeah, Nixon Zell updated stats. 329 average, 959 OPS against left-handed pitching this year. Nixon Zell against right-handed pitching, 180 average, 553 OPS against left-handed pitching. Obviously, I think maybe the left might be a little bit of an extreme right, might be a little bit of an extreme those over the course of the season might both come up a little bit. The left might come down a little bit. But it's it's very clear at this point. Nixon Zell is a good player against left-handed pitching. He should not get at-bats against right-handed pitching, at least consequential at-bats um, against right-handed pitching. There's there's I mean, there's just no way around it. Well,
3: and it's just like – I mean, Nick, you have – just thinking about it, if a right-handed pitcher is on the mound, you have TJ Friedel, Will Benson, Jake Fraley, you have – L.E.D. De La Cruz, Matt McLean, Jonathan India when he comes back. I mean, he might not be an all star, uh, but he's not as bad as what he's been the last couple of months. That is not uh, Jonathan India is a better player than that. CES, Joey Votto. I mean, you have already Nick eight nine guys that are better options against right handed pitching. I mean, it shouldn't even cross your mind unless it's just you know. I mean, once every three weeks maybe just to give a guy a day or to, you know, kind of give, you know, a Sunday day game, whatever, but it shouldn't even cross your mind to even like, I mean, Nick Senzel is probably the ninth or 10th best hitter on this, ro- on, the, on this roster against right-handed pitching. He shouldn't see the lineup against righties.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's pretty clear the, you know, the numbers of what they are and um, um, you know, he's done well in his role and I hope he is stays in his role. Uh, let's talk about the, the actual MVP of the game. Probably should have led with him. Uh, but Matt McLean, another mm-hmm. just great night. Three hits, um, hit a home run. He had thought the 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 furthest home run of the the night um, at I think it was 4:22, uh, the straightaway center field. Uh, Matt McLean has just had an unbelievable season. Just feels to um, feels like he continues to get better, a- and it has really his slumps have been so small for a rookie. Yeah. He's just been able to get through them so quick and. and and move on and, uh, you know, find some success. What's your thoughts on Matt McClain?
3: He's he's damn good. Um, In a year where, you know, we've had ups and downs with Jonathan India, Joey Votto, Ellie De La Cruz, Tyler Stevenson, um, Nick Senzel, Will Benson. I mean, every single player on this roster, Nick, Graham Ashcraft, every single player on this roster, it feels like, has had good moments and bad moments. And it's unbelievable that a 23-year-old has just come up and been so damn good every single day. Matt McClain just comes out there and like you said, his slumps are two, three games, not two, three weeks, because of just how mature and how disciplined he is at the plate. It is unbelievable what we're watching. Ellie gets all the, you know, Ellie gets all the praise because Ellie hits the ball hard. Ellie runs fast. Ellie is, you know, the, the future potential MVP. But let me tell you, I mean, Matt McClain, he's creeping up on Corbin Carroll pretty quick in that Rookie of the Year race. And uh, when you watch Matt McClain play, I mean, I think you see a future multi-time All-Star. And he might he might be in a race or two for an MVP of his own uh, if he keeps going at the rate he's been going in his rookie year because he's been so damn impressive.
0: Uh, let's talk about something really a uh, downer. Um, I don't want to speculate on Jake Fraley, but if Jake Fraley is unavailable tonight, Seems like there's probably a decent chance that uh, he, w- Reds could be without him. Either Niles Stenner, is going to be missing a couple of days. That's a huge loss. Yeah, um, he is the Reds' best hitter against right hand pitching. Maybe at some point, Will Benson, if he can prove it over a little larger sample, Ellie De La Cruz, if he can prove it over a larger sample, could have something to say about that. But right now, on August 4th, going into August 5th. I, I think Jake Fraley's is by far the Reds' best hitter against right-handed pitching. So, mm-hmm. man, that would be an absolutely brutal loss. I know India is a couple days away, hopefully. Um, obviously, if you do get India back, that would, would help a little bit of that. But India's value is not... There's no... one. Jake Fraley is almost one of the least interchangeable players on this team, I think, because he is your left-handed bat that mashes right-handed pitching.
3: Yeah, and Nick, I mean, you kind of hinted at it, but, I mean, Jake Fraley, of course, solid outfielder, great hitter against righties, but I think what really makes him valuable and irreplaceable to this team right now is the reason why, a big reason why they lost tonight is he is their clutchest hitter. Um,
0: Thanks <laughs> he for leaving it he try here, boss.
3: He, he's out with Kevin Newman's stomach bug. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, I, uh, I just think that's, I mean, that's where Jake Fraley shines, Nick. I mean, whenever the Reds need a big hit, whenever the Reds have a runner on second base, you know, in a tie game or whatever, who ends up coming up with that big hit all year long? It seems like it's Jake Fraley. He leads the team in RBIs. He's the best hitter with runners in scoring position. And for a team that right now is really struggling to score runs um, consistently, uh, besides hitting the ball out of the ballpark, Being without Jake Fraley for days, weeks, whatever it is, uh, that would be a colossal loss.
0: All right, some Reds injury news from Friday. Jonathan India, he is expected to get activated on Tuesday next week against the Marlins. Hunter Green, he's expected to make a three inning start today. That's Saturday, August 5th for Triple A Louisville. Vladimir Gutierrez also is expected to throw two innings today for A Louisville. Nick Lodolo is set to toss another bullpen session on Monday. He will then throw two innings on August 11th. The club's medical staff moved up Lodolo's estimated return date, now targeting the end of August. All right, let's get you caught up on all the Reds minor league action from Friday. Louisville bats, they won 8-3 over Omaha. Bats now 10 games over 500 at 57-47. and 47. The bats are also now tied for first place in the second-half race in the International League West Division. Novi Marte, he was 1-for-4. That one hit was a double at 108.4 off the bat. Marte also walked in the game. Jose Barrero had a great game. He was 2-for-3, hit his eighth home run of the year. He stole his 11th base, and he also walked. Home run was at 105 off the bat, 406 feet, single at 103. Levi Stout, really impressive start from him, threw five innings, allowed four hits, two runs, just one walk, and five strikeouts. This would, of course, you think, take Stout out of uh, rotation consideration with the Reds down a starter right now in the near future, but if Stout does need to be called upon at some point, a positive start for him on Friday. Tony Santian also threw a scoreless inning of relief, did allow one hit, but no walks and struck out a batter. Down to AA, the Chattanooga Lookouts, they won 3-1 over Tennessee. Lookouts now 52-46 and 46 on the air. Both Reese Hines and Blake Dunn were not in the lineup on Friday. Jose Torres, the shortstop prospect, was 2-3 for three with a walk. And then Carson Spires, he was a non-drafted free agent out of Clemson. He threw six scoreless innings, struck out seven. He lowered his season ERA to 3.39. Dayton Dragons, they lost 11-6 to Beloit. Dragons now 52 and 48 on the season, but they are tied for first place in the Midwest East Division. Edwin Arroyo, great night, two for five, hit his 10th home run of the year, also tripled. Edwin Arroyo hitting 249 with a 741 OPS this season. Jay Allen and Austin Hendrick were both 0 for four, but Matt Nelson, three for four, hit his 15th home run of the year and also doubled. Really impressive, a catcher with 15 home runs this season. Fortunately, it was not good on the pitching side. Jose Acuna had one of his worst starts uh, of his professional career. He gave up four home runs and seven earned runs over five innings. Down to low A, the Daytona Tortugas, they lost 8-2 to St. Lucie. Tortugas now just 42-55 and on the season. Victor Costa though, had a really good night. Two for five, hit his second home run, also doubled. Hector Rodriguez was on base three times with a double and two walks. Sal Stewart 0 for 3, but did walk twice. Cam Collier was 0 for 4. Well, the Reds back in action on Saturday. Reds really need a win. Uh, Saturday's game will be at 4-10. The game is on Bally Sports Ohio. Also, it's on MLB Network if you are outside of the Cincinnati market. And there's no one else you'd rather have pitching for the Cincinnati Reds when you need a win than lefty Andrew Abbott. 6-2, 2.35 ERA this season. He's coming off a tough start against the Cubs where he did allow four runs over three and a third innings. Did strike out five, but Abbott's never faced the Nationals, and Abbott has really impressively been dominant at Great American Ballpark this season. He's got a 1.60 ERA. Reds will be going up against Johan Adan. The Nats just called him up for Saturday's game. He's been up and down between the minors and the Majors over the last three seasons. This year, he was only on the big leagues for two relief appearances, totaling five innings back in mid July. He's got a 4.62 ERA over 17 starts down at AAA this year. Uh, Adon has got a mid 90s fastball. He does struggle at times with walks, although he has improved some from last year. Adon was the Nats' number seven prospect going into 2022 before he graduated. Well, thank you for joining us today for Chatterbox Reds. I know that it was an absolutely brutal night on Friday night, but this Reds team, they have found a way to respond all year to adversity, and I'm excited to see if they could find a way to do it again as the Reds are still somehow right in this race. If I could just ask one favor of you, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. You've all been incredible with your support of our podcast and our live show on YouTube. But if you just take a few seconds to do that, we would really appreciate it. Well, I hope that you have a fantastic Saturday. I will be joined again by Shay Neal on Chatterbox Reds Live postgame. Uh, we'll go live in the ninth inning. That'll probably be around 6.30 or so. We would love for you to join us for that. Make sure that you are subscribed to Chatterbox Sports on YouTube. Hit that bell and turn on notifications so you don't ever miss live post game shows all season long. And of course... If you miss the show on YouTube, we will always have a podcast bright and early. We'll have it up on Sunday morning as we are the only Cincinnati Reds podcast with new episodes after every game. We will talk again soon, and as always, go Reds.